What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. And we're talking about the Nets today, which should be a lot of fun with all the stuff that's happened this summer. Uh, and to join us and help us talk about Brooklyn is uh, Nets reporter Billy Reinhardt from Nets Daily. How you doing today, Billy? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on here and taking the time. And we a lot of this focus is going to be on the offseason and going into next year, but we like to start with reflecting on what happened in the 18-19 season. And it's a little different to do for this team because of the major changes that happened this offseason. So I think the angle that we can take is reflecting on last year's 42-win team. What can you take from last year that will still be around and progress and translate into this next year? Well, I think when you think about what they had last season and going forward into this season, at the top of the list, it's Karis LeVert. And he's someone who broke out through the first 14 games of last season. He averaged about 18 points, five rebounds, five assists. And he was the Nets' best player. He was on his way to a potential all-star berth. He had a couple game winners in that span, and he was the best player on that team. Then, as you know, he had that gruesome injury down in Minnesota. We thought it was more serious than it ended up being. He ended up coming back towards the end of the season, worked his way back, and then he was a force in the playoffs. He was probably the Nets' best player in the playoffs, averaged over 20 a game on very high efficiency. So I think the Nets expect him next season to be that number two scorer next to Kyrie Irving if and when until Kevin Durant comes back. Um, so he's going to have a big role for this team. Then you look at other guys like Jared Allen, who's a young, promising third-year center now, shot blocker, rim roller. The addition of DeAndre Jordan should help him a good bunch. Uh, Joe Harris led the league in three-point shooting last season. He'll be back. Will he replicate his 47% league-leading mark? Maybe not, but if he can be in that 42 to 45% range, he's going to be a highly efficient player next to Irving and potentially Durant. And then Spencer Dinwiddie's another great player off the bench, one of the top six men in the league. So they have a nice core in place to surround Irving, Durant, DeAndre Jordan, some of those new guys they brought in. Yeah, and, and Brendan mentioned it, but... That's it's really true that those five guys that you're mentioning are kind of the only five guys that are coming back this season. Uh, there are a few guys that didn't really get real minutes, but really half the team turned over. And, uh, you know, so it's probably worth talking about D'Angelo Russell a little bit. Uh, we had your fellow reporter from Nets Daily, Anthony Puccio, on here a couple of months ago, and he talked about how much D'Angelo Russell meant to the organization, meant to the fans, Obviously, he had a huge breakout season as well, and he is departing. And how you know how does that feel for 
the fan base over there. I'm sure there's some mixed emotions, uh, mixed feelings about it, but you know, how hard is it to see a guy like that go? Oh, it was very difficult. In the months leading up to agency, I mean, you heard a lot of talk about Kyrie Irving, that he seemed to be a sure thing coming to the Nets, and people wondered, what did that mean for D'Angelo Russell? There was some talk that they could maybe pair the two. Um, and so fans were kind of going back and forth on who they'd prefer. Obviously, Irving is a superior player. He is a few years older, though, and he doesn't have that kind of connection of being a guy that, even though D'Angelo Russell was drafted by the Lakers, he kind of feels like a Nets homegrown star. Um, and Kyrie Irving, he had that all that that went on in Boston. We don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but there's a little bit of drama there. So there was some reservation in some Nets fans' minds, but I think everyone agreed the only way that you'd be really comfortable with letting D'Angelo Russell go is if you could pair Durant and Irving. Kevin Durant changes the whole picture. I mean, this is a guy who's arguably the best player in the league. Who knows what it'll be when he comes back, but I'm confident in saying he'll probably still be a top-ten player. And if you can get a guy like that, as much as it hurts to let D'Angelo Russell go, more from just a, a loyalty perspective, um, I think you had to do that. So, I mean, I'm sure as Anthony Puccio told you guys, he really bought into the culture here. He worked super hard. Everyone in the organization loved him from teammates, front office coaching, and the fans as well. So he was a fan favorite here, and I think he'll forever be rooted on and respected by people here in Brooklyn. But, I mean, when you can get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, that's the kind of move you have to make. Yeah. And obviously just focusing on Kyrie here first, that's the replacement for D'Lo, like you mentioned. I'm curious what you think the difference is going to be between those two players. Obviously there's, I was going to say a little less ISO with Kyrie, which is kind of funny to say because Kyrie is such an ISO player. Um, but I don't think you're going to see the same amount of pick and rolls as you necessarily did with with D'Lo and Jared Allen. What are some of the differences you're expecting to see in the overall team and moving from D'Lo to Kyrie Irving? It's going to be interesting to see. Kenny Atkinson said a little bit earlier in the offseason that he didn't think their net system would change a whole lot. I think they'd play a similar way. They've kind of built that structure and that system to be attractive enough to acquire Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So that's part of the attraction level that there was with this organization. So I think they'll run a lot of the similar sets. The net gave D'Angelo Russell a long lease last year. He had a very high usage rate up in the 30s, higher than Kyrie Irving. So I'd expect Irving to have a usage rate similar to Russell's last season. So whether that means more shots. I think they actually will run the same amount of pick-and-roll. Uh, I got into this a little bit of an argument with some people on Twitter the other day, who's a better pick-and-roll player. I think Kyrie Irving's a better pick-and-roll player. Some of the advanced statistics will show you that. I mean, the Nets run some of the most pick-and-roll in the entire league. That being said, Kyrie Irving, I don't think, is maybe as willing of a passer as D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I think that's a very underrated skill of D'Angelo Russell. Although I think Kyrie Irving does get underrated from time to time in that regard. But I think they'll pretty much run the similar system. I think Irving is a more efficient player, most definitely, than D'Angelo Russell, and a better player overall. So um, <laughs> the, the Nets will be more successful, definitely, if they just plug and play in terms of doing the same thing. And I expect them to do pretty much the same thing. Definitely can't argue that Kyrie is the, the better player. But he does come with a little bit of baggage. Uh, he's a guy that agitated for a trade out of Cleveland and then whether you know I, I'm not I don't know exactly what was, what was going on in his head what was going on in the Celtics locker room but there was some speculation that you know he didn't buy in and that there you know it just didn't feel like the perfect fit for him and he may have given up on the team you know during the playoffs there were a few that last uh, half of the last playoff game especially he seemed really tuned out but do you have any concerns 
chemistry-wise uh, regarding Kyrie? I think there were a lot of similar concerns, a little bit different, but kind of character concerns about D'Angelo Russell when he came from Los Angeles. And the Nets have kind of a rule in their organization. They give everyone a clean slate when they come in. They don't really know exactly what happened before that. They make their own judgments on the person, obviously, before signing them, but give them a clean slate coming in and then let them go to work. I mean, a player of Kyrie Irving's caliber, he's just an unbelievable talent. They're going to bring him into this gym and see what they can do with him. They definitely did their due diligence in terms of trying to figure out what happened in Boston, and I think they have the right support system around him in Brooklyn that can make him successful. Atkinson and Marks have already spoken a little bit about trying to communicate with Kyrie, asking him, what do you need? What do you need to be successful? So I think they're all in and trying to support Kyrie Irving, and this is also a place he wants to be. He got drafted to Cleveland, maybe enjoyed his time there, but he didn't choose to go there. When he went to Boston, that was not somewhere he chose to go. So I think now coming back home, of course, the team that he grew up with, this is the team he chose to be a part of. Came here with Kevin Durant. They're trying to build something special. So I think he's more invested in this opportunity, and I think it will be beneficial for the Nets in the end. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you mentioned, when he wanted his way out of Cleveland, Brooklyn was one of the teams on his list. Boston was not. And sure, maybe he made a couple of verbal commitments thinking he was going to stay. Things changed and he made his way to Brooklyn. One of the issues kind of with that whole chemistry thing was that it seemed to hinder some of the growth of the young guys in Boston. And you mentioned Karis LeVert as even being the best player on your team uh, during the playoffs before that injury last year. And he's a guy that really is successful with the ball is in his hands on the offensive end. Do you have worries that Lavert is going to get less of an opportunity, or is it just time to learn to work without the ball a little bit there? How do you think the dynamic and the duo of Lavert and Irving is going to work? Well, I think both can play with or without the ball. They both can kind of catch and shoot. Lavert, for him to really take a huge step, he's going to have to improve his three-point shooting, which he saw a little bit in the playoffs in a small sample size. But for him to take the next step, the three-point shot is going to really have to progress to a high level. But I think they both can play on or off the ball. They both are very good in pick and roll. Um, so I, th- I think they'll fit in seamlessly. I think LaVert on the defensive end can help take some pressure off of Kyrie Irving. He's a good defender, team guard, point guard. So I think they're going to match up well. And then from a personality standpoint, Karis LaVert's very, very easygoing. He doesn't maybe have the ego of a Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, a higher draft pick. Um, they've already been hanging out a lot, Karis LaVert and Kyrie Irving, since the signing became official. They were spotting his in L.A. at an L.A. Sparks game in the WNBA just a few nights ago. So I think they're getting along well. I think their play styles will mesh well. Um, going back to Boston, I think guys took a step back, and that's not all on Kyrie Irving. I think the Celtics, they, they were surprised, and they got to the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie Irving, albeit in a weaker East than what we even saw this last past season. And I think they kind of got a little bit of a big head. I mean, if you have all that success early in your career, you think you could do it, and you don't even think you need Kyrie to do it. So... Um, I think there's a little bit of blame that maybe has to go out to the Terry Rozier's and the uh, Jason Tatum's and Jalen Brown's. Um, less touches are to be expected when you add a superstar player like Kyrie Irving back into the fold. Um, but I, I think there's blame everywhere to go around in Boston. I don't think everyone should be pointing specifically to Kyrie Irving. Yeah. So with LeVert, is the impression in Brooklyn that he is back to 100% fully healthy, no restrictions, and if so... Do you expect him to return to 100% of the production he was showing before the injury? Yeah, he should be back to 100%. As I said, he returned with about a month ago in the regular season. Slowly got built up in terms of his minutes until the playoffs. 
He was actually coming off the bench in the playoffs because he had been building up those minutes. And the Nets just, they saw he was the best player on the team in the playoffs with all the attention being on D'Angelo Russell. Um, so he came into that starting lineup and he was their best player, averaged about 21 points per game, shot almost 50% from the field, mid 40s from three. I mean, he was unbelievable and he was behind maybe Joel Embiid. He was maybe the best player on the floor overall. So, um, Karis Levert's a dynamic two-way player. He's going to be a big part with the Nets do this season. And, uh, he's always kind of had injury concerns going back to Michigan, but as of now, he's as healthy as can be. Yeah, and one other guy that really impressed me for that Brooklyn team last year was Spencer Dinwiddie, and it's another one of these guards, and I'm curious how you think that that fit is going to work. I mean, Dinwiddie was very good player in his own right, you know, almost almost 17 points, four and a half assists on some decent efficiencies, 44 from the field, 33 from three, not great, but it was still nice. I think he did a good job playmaking. Do you feel like because obviously you want your best talent on the floor at the end of games, that you can have Irving, Levert, and Dinwiddie share the floor together. Yeah, definitely. I, there was actually an article just a few days ago that came out from Ian Begley of uh, SNY here in New York talking about how the Nets could potentially, um, Chris uh, Chris Flash on Twitter also wrote about this a little bit, but how the Nets could potentially kind of be a Golden State-ish team just on the defensive end in terms of having a lot of guys that could switch on defense. I mean, if you go with Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and Kevin Durant when he comes back as your one through four, you could pretty much switch all of that. Dinwiddie has great size for a point guard at 6'6", LeVert 6'7", Durant probably about 7 feet. He's listed at 6'9", but that's very long, rangy. Everyone could dribble past shoot. Um, so I think on paper that should work together. Uh, Kyrie Irving has great catch and shoot numbers off the ball. So I don't think him playing off the ball is a problem. He is an elite one-on-one player with the ball in his hands, but off the ball, he's a very efficient shooter. So I think all those guys can play on or without the ball, and having as many shot creators, playmakers on the floor at once, is that's how you become a really difficult team to defend. So I think I'm excited about seeing those guys together because I think they can be really, really tough to stop. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on itunes or wherever you're getting this podcast and if you want to follow us on twitter we'd love to interact with you we can take your questions answer them on the podcast as well that is at kings underscore pulse we also got an instagram kings underscore pulse and we are the official podcast of uh reddit r slash kings we got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions so we really appreciate it and and thank you very much for listening Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, one thing about the Nets that I've always enjoyed is that they've just got a million guys, it seems, in that 6'6 to 6'9 range. Those wing players, those larger wings that are so important to the modern NBA and 
another guy that that guy that falls into that range, a rookie from last year, Rodion's Kurutz. He really impressed me. Not the flashiest uh, box score numbers, I guess, but really seemed like a smart player ahead of his time at just 21 years old. What can you tell us about this guy going into his second season? Yeah, definitely. Big point that you brought him up. He's about 6'9 in that range, as you mentioned. A little longer and bigger than people think, actually. Um, looks like, like he put on some weight in summer league so far this, this offseason. So he's probably going to take a nice step in year two. He's kind of a multi-positional forward. Can even guard ones on occasion on switches. He can slide a little bit to the five and can stretch big. So he has a lot of versatility in his game. And the biggest thing about him is his motor. He plays so, so hard. Yeah, so he can make up for being a little undersized against some power forwards in certain matchups just by playing so hard, being really smart, really active with his hands, as you mentioned. So um, he's an exciting player for the future. And then he has a knack of just kind of a European player. A lot of these guys have this ability of just knowing the right time to cut. D'Angelo Russell really made a living last year off finding Rodion's Kuruks off of different cuts um, with all the tension was on him in the pick and roll. So I think Kyrie Irving could do something similar to that. But, yeah, Kuruks is a – Really good young player. He'll have, obviously, a big opportunity to prove himself this year again um, with Durant on the shelf for at least the first half of the season. Um, but when Durant comes back, I think him along with Torian Prince, who was just acquired from Atlanta, Wilson Chandler's a veteran. They have a lot of guys in that 3-4 range that, that can be successful for them this season. Yeah, and another guy that was a rookie last year kind of falls under that category but didn't exactly get the playing time is Theo Pinson. And I think that people are really high on the potential that he has there, but does it feel like with all the depth going on and really going all in and is getting many as many wins and being as successful as you can this year that he's not going to get as much opportunity? I don't think he's immediately in the rotation, but I mean, the Nets give everyone equal opportunity. Whoever's playing hard, playing well, um, that they're going to get a chance to play. And we know over the course of an 82 game season and potentially the playoffs for this team, there's going to be injuries. So everyone's going to get an opportunity at some point. It's about taking advantage of it when those minutes come. I think coming out of the gate, the Pinson, the Nets actually see him as kind of a point guard or a big point guard, a playmaker, a play initiator. Um, they love his playmaking ability going back to USC. I think that was always his best skill. Since he got into the pros last season, he proved that he could shoot the ball. So he was shooting pretty a pretty good clip from three, especially down in the G League. And his limited opportunities with the big club, he played pretty well. So I think coming into the season, he's probably your third-string point guard. He could play one through three. Um, he probably will eventually get an opportunity, as I mentioned, but out of the gate, I don't think he's in the rotation. While we're on the topic of second-year players, uh, Janan Musa was a guy that felt like a, a steal at pick 29 last year. Didn't really play much. Definitely spent uh, some time in the G League. Maybe going to spend some more time there. But just 20 years old, another smart guy uh, coming over from Europe who can definitely, ha- at least in theory, has the potential to create, the potential to score. Do you see him having a larger role this year? Yeah, I think he's another guy that could potentially take a step and figure into that wing mix off the bench. Uh, I don't think he'll initially uh, be in that rotation, similar to Theo Pinson, but I really like his talent level, as you mentioned. At pick 29, a lot of people had him in that late lottery area in last year's draft, so he has talent. He's already gained roughly 20 pounds since that draft, so he's starting to fill out as a player, and that was the biggest question mark with him, his body. Um, so he's getting to that point. Last year was kind of a redshirt season for him where he played a lot in the G League. He was impressive. 
The next coach in the G League last year, Will Weaver, he actually called John Amus the best passer in, passer in the G League. So that tells you a lot about his game. He's kind of a 6'8", 6'9", forward, doesn't have crazy athleticism, but he can shoot the ball, has a nice touch, good passing vision. So he's kind of another guy I can pass, dribble, shoot. All these guys are just going to have that on the floor at once, one through three, one through four, that can do the same thing. So that's tough for a defense to, to handle when everybody can kind of late shot clock situation figure out something with the ball. So, yeah, he's another guy that takes some fit into the mix. And just going through all these guys, I mean, like we mentioned, you have depth in all the right areas and really across the entire roster. Like, we're already talking about the bottom guys and their potential to contribute. One of the other additions that you had that kind of felt like went with the package of Irving Durant was DeAndre Jordan. And it's a two-year, $40 million contract. Not great money for DJ and himself, but hey, if it's coming with Irving and Durant, you do that every single time. Is there a worry that he's going to get playing time over Jarrett Allen? Because we've talked to people, and I feel the same way, that Jarrett Allen has legitimate defensive player of the year level potential. But you would hope, and I would guess think that he's still going to remain in that starting lineup in closing games, right? Jared Allen, that is, if he's going to finish games? Yes. I, I I think that remains to be seen. Certain matchups, how each guy's playing. I mean, both Jordan and Allen played roughly 25 minutes a game last season. So I think you'll see a similar split. Um, I think they'll both probably play in that in that range, that 23 to 27 minute per game area. They'll split that time, and it's going to be matchup-based. I think they're going to do everything in their power to give Allen an opportunity to take that job. But Jordan was brought on for those big, bulky center matchups. And while Jared Allen is a solid defensive player and a very good shot blocker, he's still growing into his body, too. This is only his third year. He's not hes not even 22 years old yet. So um, this is a young, young guy. He's grown into his body. And when you play those big-bodied centers like you saw in the playoffs with Joel Embiid, Allen's just not there physically yet. So that's where DeAndre Jordan, he's a grown man. He comes in there. He can bang, bang bodies with those big centers. He's going to help in that regard. Um, I think in tandem, they're going to be very successful together. I, I'm not worried about it stifling Allen's growth at all because I think competition breeds growth um, for me personally. But uh, I think together, it's definitely going to help the Nets. Ed Davis was very good as a compliment to Allen last year off the bench. But DeAndre Jordan's a guy, former defensive player of the year, former all-star. He's not that player anymore, but he's still a guy who could average a double-double, play some solid defense, and he has that playoff experience. So going along with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, he fits into what the Nets are trying to build. And I think together... They're, they're going to be a nice center tandem. That's interesting. I, I think you make some good points. We here in Sacramento, uh, we heard a lot of buzz about DeAndre Jordan potentially coming to the Kings. So I think that we got a little bit nervous about that, especially with the amount of money that the Kings have been known to splash out on older veterans. Uh, DeAndre did sign four years, $40 million. It does feel... Kind of like a lot, uh, you know, maybe part of that is, like Brennan mentioned, kind of built into getting Kyrie and Durant. It was kind of a package deal, but but it seems like you were fairly optimistic about his role there. What about the other guys? Um, we can get into Durant in just a minute, but the, some of the other role players, you know, Garrett Temple is a guy that has connections to Sacramento, obviously. Uh, he was a, a really a fan favorite and really was an awesome guy in the community really supported the, the people of Sacramento, always out there, you know, always trying to do what he can for the community. And he, he's going to the Nets now on a two-year, $9.8 million deal, team option in that second year. Uh, and he really showed out uh, late last season, especially his defense. Are you excited about what he can bring to the team? 
Yeah, I think a lot of things you mentioned. He's a culture fit. He's a good guy in the community, as you mentioned. The Nets love those types of guys bringing into their environment, especially around some star players now. He's a veteran player that will garner respect and keep guys on their toes, keep everyone working hard. So I think he fits in seamlessly there. Then when you talk about his play on the court, he's somebody that really nowhere in his game stands out as elite, but he's good at a lot of different things, right? He's a smart, really good defender, savvy defender. Um, he can hit threes, although he's not a sharpshooter, I'd say. He can handle the ball a little bit as a combo guard. So a lot of different things that he can do. Another guy that's versatile and can fit well as a role player next to a ball-dominant Kyrie Irving or Dinwiddie or LeVert or Durant when he comes back. So I think he's a guy that fits in very, very well. And the Nets made him a priority. He signed right after we got that commitment on Twitter from Rhodes about Durant, Irving, and Jordan. Right after, you got Garrett Temple going to the Nets. So the Nets definitely pinpointed him early in the process as someone they wanted to be a part of this team. And I think he's probably the backup shooting guard off the gate, off the, off the bat. He'll probably get about 20 minutes a game. Um, and he's a, he's a veteran player that knows how to win, was on a good team last year with the Clippers. So he'll bring some of that intensity and some of that fire into Brooklyn. And one guy that we have really liked, and it's just one of my type of players, I really like hard-playing guys that are good on the defensive end, and Rich gives me crap because a lot of times they turn out to be not good offensive players, and David Nwaba kind of falls into that. I like the intensity that he brings. Like I said, he's always going to leave it all out there, but he was getting you know, 20 minutes last year on a bad Cleveland team, about the same on a Chicago team the year before. I assume that his role will be a little bit less here with a deep rotation, but where do you feel like Nawaba fits in with the rest of these guys? Yeah, I think he's a strong defensive guard. I think the Nets have done a good job of surrounding Kyrie Irving with as many kind of switchy, tough defensive players on the wings around him. So when you think about Boston, what they had, they had Marcus Smart, obviously. Then you had long defenders, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, around him. So that's kind of the mold the Nets look like they're kind of trying to surround Irving with, whether it's the Temple, Nwabel, Avert at the two. Um, then when he could slide in there as well, you got Durant, Torian Prince, Rodion's Kuroks, as we touched on. So a lot of guys that are kind of similar in that mold to surround Kyrie Irving. And he's another guy. He's maybe the Nets' best defender. Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think right now. But David Nwaba has a, has a reputation as a really strong, sturdy defender. And uh, he's someone I think that will start off kind of as a third stringer. But as I said, injuries always happen. He's going to get his time. And I think he's a good fit next to Kyrie Irving specifically. Yeah, it's weird. There's a really strong contingent of uh, Kings, uh, uh, Twitter, Kings Twitter folks that just love David Nwaba. I remember uh, this past offseason and then the season before that, the offseason before that, before he went to Cleveland, there were just people like all in my mentions about David Nwaba, which makes sense. I mean, he is, he's a good player. He's a great defender. And, uh, it's interesting because he's a kind of a small dude, or at least his, his height is listed, I believe like six mm-hmm. four, but he's got that seven foot wingspan and definitely, definitely can do a lot on defense. Uh, you, you guys also added Wilson Chandler, just another guy like we're talking about those like, those medium to large sized wings, those six six to six nine guys. Chandler's a guy that can come in there, uh, you know, play one of those forward positions. But then there's two other guys on the roster now where I actually don't know if they're they're probably on the official roster, but they're two guys that I genuinely don't know about them or who they are, and it came from the Damari Carroll sign and trade. Can you can you tell me anything at all or is there anything to even tell about Nemanja Dengubic? Demugic and Aaron White, excuse me on the pronunciation there. So the first name you mentioned, I think he did as good a job as I'm going to do with it. I don't think he has any <laughs> NBA 
chance of coming to the league, at least from what I've heard. Aaron White's a different story. He's not going to be in the NBA this season, but he's a guy who could potentially factor into the Nets roster plans over the next couple of seasons. But, you know, these drafting staff guys, you never really know what's going to happen. You kind of take them on. It gives you another asset for lopsided trades just to throw in there in a signing trade scenario like that. Aaron White, I do think, has the potential to sneak on as one of those last roster spots over the next couple of seasons. But for this season, neither one's in the picture. And the first name you mentioned, I do not think we'll ever see him in the NBA. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, and I think it's time to get to the other headliner here being Kevin Durant, obviously, what before the injury was debatably the best player in the league for a little while there, but we saw the Achilles happen in the finals, and you know, you still, I mean, you throw a max contract at that guy every time, no matter, even if maybe that you are paying $38 million for him to not play for the year. But when do you expect him to come back? And what level of play do you think you're getting from him when he is finally returning? I really think a big part of Kevin Durant's decision was the fact that the Nets medical staff is known around the league and the performance team is one of the best. I mean, a lot of players talk about players that have come and gone. Jared Dudley, who just signed with the Lakers, he spoke about how the Nets staff has about 50 people, and he's never seen a performance staff as big as that one. So the Nets have really invested into that. The doctor who performed the surgery, Dr. Martin O'Malley, he actually was, he actually is the Nets team doctor. So that's the familiarity there. He kind of get into visits and checkups with Dr. O'Malley very often. There's a level of comfortability there for Kevin Durant. So I think that was a big part of him coming to Brooklyn, and I do think we will see him this season. I know a lot of people off the bat, maybe overreacted a little bit because it is an Achilles injury and we know how serious those are. When you look at the average recovery time of some of these guys that have come back from Achilles injuries over in the NBA over the last handful of seasons, the average recovery time would put Kevin Durant coming back in that March range. So I, I, I think that's a good sign. Kevin Durant is off of crutches. For one of his friends on Instagram, keeps putting pictures out. He's off crutches now. looks to be in good spirits, doing well, recovering quickly. I mean, we're less than two months after his surgery, so... Um, he looks to be in good spirits there. It's a long recovery road, though. End of the day, I, I think the Nets are the best situation for him in terms of recovering to the best of his abilities. Um, as I mentioned, I do think we will see him in that March range. And then obviously he'll be brought back slowly. He's not going to play 30, 35 minutes a game off the bat. He'll probably have him at 15, 20, 25. Hopefully by the playoffs, he's built up to that 30 minute per game range and he probably won't be the maximized version, or at least the version, of, the best version of Kevin Durant that we'll, that we'll see post-injury until maybe next season. But I still think you had Kevin Durant, if he could even give you 20 points a game uh, on, on like 45% shooting, that's a big boost going into the playoffs. And if this next team's hovering in that three to five seed range where I suspect they could ultimately be, and then you had Kevin Durant to that going to the playoffs. I mean, that, that's a tough team that, that could make a conference final first. So um, maybe getting ahead of myself a little bit there. Uh, but I do expect to see Kevin Durant later in this season, and I think he's in the best hands we, we could hope for with the Nets. 
Yeah, man. I mean, seeing Durant go down really cast a pall over the the second half of the playoffs there, the the end of the season. That was really sad to see. And definitely everybody, you know, if you're a sports fan, you're hoping for a guy like Durant, who is just at the top of his game, uh, to, you know, one of the best players in the world to to return to as close to as close to that as possible. Um, I do worry just because of how serious the injury is, like you mentioned, but it sounds like he's in good hands. And, uh, yeah, uh, this is a dumb transition, but speaking of hands, uh, there is <laughs> there's, uh, a couple rookies the Nets grabbed, um, second rounders, and it sounds like the Nets are definitely in that mode of looking for uh, kind of project players, guys to develop over time. Uh, but what do, you, what do you see, what do you like, what do you not like about uh, Nicholas Claxton and Jalen Hands? Well, Jalen Hands, we have yet to hear what the next plan is for him. They are filled their roster. They have 15 players signed on. They still have a two-way spot open. Um, so we'll see what happens with Jalen Hands. Possibly goes over to Europe for a year. They maintain his rights. Um, but we haven't heard what goes on with him. He looks like a little bit of a project in summer league. Obviously, he got drafted late second round for a reason. Although out in the West Coast, I mean, for you guys are aware, he was a big-time recruit going into college. Didn't really live up to those standards at UCLA. But um, he's a guy with talent, I've heard. I looked at Sean Marks right after the draft at the facility, and he was talking a little bit about how he's very quick, shifty. I've heard some people compare him a little bit to maybe Tony Parker eventually. Um, so I don't know. I mean, when you take these late second-round shots, I mean, they are shots. They're exactly that. So we'll see what happens with him. The Nets do have a good development team to potentially get the best out of him. In terms of Claxton, I think he could be a real player. Maybe not this season because similar to a lot of rookies, he has to go out and put some weight on. But he's a guy that could play the four and five potentially. Um, and he could stretch it out a little bit. I heard Kenny Axton talk about it a little bit. He actually compared him to a little bit of Chris Bosh, which is obviously a massive, massive um, comparison to give to a guy that's drafted in the second round and just drafted. But he sees a little bit of Chris Bosh in his game, a smooth lefty stroke. He didn't shoot a ton of threes in college, but he showed that he's capable of making him. That's definitely an area of growth for his game in the future. And he's athletic. He plays super hard, great bounce on that second jump at the rim. He can rebound. He's tough. Um, and the, and the, probably the thing that people don't know most about his game is that he can handle. He can handle like a point forward. He was a point guard growing up, had a late growth spurt. Um, so he has his point guard skills. And that's something that catches a lot of people off by surprise. But he can catch the ball off the defensive glass, take it close to close to the rim. And that's something that Kenny Axton definitely loves from his power forwards and something he's encouraged them to do over his few seasons with the Nets. So, I think he's someone that definitely fits into the plans going forward, and I think he's going to be a big part of that. I love it. The Tony Parker and Chris Bosh comparisons for the 31 and 56 pick. I'm I'm all for it. It seems like everyone that we talk to. I'm telling you what they're saying. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. You've got to be optimistic, you know. And I think that you've talked about a lot of guys taking a step forward and improving, and we'll get to those, but I'm curious who you think has potential to to digress a little bit here. Is there less of a role for, you know, Kuruks or something like that? And there's only so many guys that you did bring back, but do you see anyone taking a step in the uh, in the other direction here going into next year? That's interesting. Um I think there's a little bit of a difference in terms of maybe having less punches and less opportunity and taking a step back. Um, so I think maybe there's a few guys that will have less opportunity. Um, but I would I, I don't know who would take a step back. Maybe Joe Harris. I mean, he did lead the league in three-point shooting last season. 
I don't know if you could expect that again, although he will probably be in that top five range. So maybe he'll take a little bit of a step back. Then you think about some older players. So Garrett Temple's getting a little bit older. He's a role player. So, I mean, how much will he be exposed with age? I'm not sure. DeAndre Jordan, he could take a step back. We've seen a little bit of a decline with him with each season. But with Jared Allen there, I'm not really too worried about that. So, I mean, I don't, they don't have a lot of age on this team. They're kind of at a good spot there with being a contending team with not having guys that are too old. So, um, I don't think there's really anyone that's going to really get exposed with uh, having having a worse season than they did the year before. Yeah, and you've covered uh, pretty well the, the guys that you think will improve, but if you had to pick one guy on this team that you would that you would predict a breakout season for, who who's taking this who's taking the biggest step next year? Well, I'm going to go with two of the big names. So, I think Kyrie Irving's going to have his best season he's ever had. I think, as I said, he's really interested in this opportunity. He's enthusiastic about starting the season, and he has something to prove. You know, this is his team until Kevin Durant returns, and he wants to prove that he could be a number one on a good team and not have all that drama around him. So he's coming with a chip on his shoulder. Kenny Atkinson, every point guard he's ever been put with, has had their best seasons under him. So I expect him to have similar, more of that. He's going to have the ball in his hands more. As I mentioned, D'Angelo Russell had a, a pretty good chunk uh, more of a higher usage rate last season than Kyrie Irving. He's going to get all those touches and maybe even more. So you're going to see more shots from Irving. He's already a highly efficient player. Shoots in the high 40s um, overall. He shoots 40% from three. He could be a 50, 40, 90 guy with the net. Like he's going to approach those numbers as he has over the last couple of seasons. Put that efficiency with the usage rate he's going to have with this Nets team. And I would not be surprised to see him average 25 points per game for the second time in his career. So I think he's going to have a big season there. Um, and then Karis Silver, I think you're going to see a healthy, hopefully, you got to hope for health. But if he's healthy, you're going to see a full season of him playing to the best of his capabilities. And he's going to be hovering around that 17 to 19 point mark, I think, and thrive as that second score, secondary playmaker, good defensive player. So uh, I think those are the two guys that are really going to break out this year. Irving's going to have his best season and remind everyone of how great he is. And I think Karis Silver is going to put himself on the map. It's kind of... I think a good guy to compare him to is Pascal Siakam. Like that, that fringe, that fringe all-star guy, two-way player, not really elite at anything, but could do a lot of different things and thrives as a second or third option. I think that's kind of, obviously Siakam's more of a four and Levert's more of a guard, but I think that's kind of the level player. I can see him being a fringe all-star type and, and do a lot of different things for a good team. Interesting. And to focus on Lavert a little bit more here, he's coming into what's going to be the restricted free agency. And there's teams like we just finished talking to Cleveland saying that they would love to throw a lot of money at him. Do you worry about that going into next season? Yeah, the Cavs got kind of thrown in the mix a little bit. I saw a month or so ago right after the next signed Duran Irving and people already looking to poach players. Um, obviously, there's a connection there. He's an Ohio native. John Beeline was his coach at Michigan. Um, so I, I expect him to be definitely interested in him. But the Nets have a decision to make. They can extend him if they find a number for both of them that fits them both um, before the season begins this season. Or they could wait until next year and then go into restricted free agency with him and then match any offer. The Nets are in it to win with this core. With Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, this is the core they have. They're capped out whether they let LeVert go or not. So they're, they're going to keep him... I think at almost any cost, um, they're invested in this core. So um, Karis LeVert will be around. I'm very confident in saying that. I mean, unless he has a injury-depleted season and, and, and somebody wants to come in with a max offer sheet and really test the net, 
that's maybe the only scenario I can see with him leaving. Um, but I think the next, like I said, they are invested in this core. That's why overpaying DeAndre Jordan maybe a little bit or giving him an extra year is not as big of a deal because you're tapped out either way. So you take all the talent you can get. And then not only Paris, the repertorian Prince is a restricted free agent next season. He's a guy who can get maybe in that eight to ten million dollar range on the open market too. Joe Harris is going to be a free agent. He can get in that ten to twelve million dollar range maybe. So they have a few free agents that I think they're going to go over the cap to sign at least two of the three. Um, and that kind of gives them a little bit of a competitive advantage in terms of the cap at that point because you'll be operating a team over the cap in terms of trade. Who knows what comes available? If they see themselves that they need another star or if Levert doesn't pan out as that third star or whatever it may be, a year until, let's say, Kevin Durant's back and they're an Eastern Conference Finals team or even a Finals team that just needs to get over the hump a little bit more. And I'm not saying Bradley Beal, but maybe someone of that level that becomes available. Then they have guys over the cap that can package some mid-sized contracts together, um, keep all the talent they have, and really go for a third star. So there's a lot of different ways they can go, but it really makes no sense for them to let Harris LeVert or any of their free agents go. Ownership is, they've been waiting for this moment, and that's been bad for a few seasons now, and they showed back when they first came to Brooklyn when Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce came over. They are not afraid to play as luxury tax. They have some of the richest owners in the sport, and the Kale Prokhorov who's sliding over within the next couple of years, and then Joe Sai, who just took over as well now. So they're both heavily committed to paying the luxury tax as long as it contributes to a winner. Um, and uh, I expect Harris Silver to be in that for a long time. Yeah, you're absolutely right that this team is just flushed with talent at this point. They will have to pay for it, but as far as on the court, they've obviously got a ton of strengths now. Uh, we mentioned the, the wing depth, the, the big forwards, the shooting They've got some great shooters on this team. This, you know, this team can really shoot uh, up and down the lineup quite a bit. But what are some weaknesses that you could identify for this team in this next season? Well, everyone looks good on paper in August, right? <laughs> so uh, I think <laughs> a lot of that's going to have to come with as we watch them throughout the season, who fits with who and whatever. Um, off the top of my head, maybe Kyrie Irving's buy-in defensively. I think D'Angelo Russell was never a great defender, and they tried to hide him on time, from time to time. Um, but he would give effort when need be, and I think we've seen in finals matchups with Steph Curry or whatever, Kyrie Irving can turn it on defensively. He is capable in that area. So I think you've got to get him to buy in defensively. I think you need DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen to mesh well as a tandem and both be content with the playing time they get. Um, and Jordan, Jordan has to be re-motivated because there's been times over the last couple of seasons with the Mavericks or even with the Knicks last season I mean, those are not good teams that he's been with over the last couple of years since his Clippers days. And there have been lapses in terms of motivation or just effort on both ends of the floor, especially on the defensive end. I think now being back with Kyrie, being in Brooklyn on a good team with friends and Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, I mean, the stakes are raised. And Kenny Axton is not going to let him not give maximum effort. He's tough. And it doesn't matter if you're a star player or uh, the last guy on the bench. Kenny Axton is going to hold everybody accountable. And I think they're going to push him to get back to that level of being a defensive player of the year type of guy. So um, I think those are probably the two things. I'd like to see a bounce back from Jordan there. Um, in terms of everything else, it's about staying healthy. The question mark is Paris LeVert. That health is always the biggest question. I think when you look at the Nets, you have Kevin Durant, obviously. He's out for much of the season. When he comes back, what version himself will it be? And then Karis LeVert is always dealt with injuries. So, um, those are the things there. And then Kyrie Irving always has those little nagging injuries as well. So the health of the next three best players, Durant, Irving, and LeVert, I'd probably say is the most important thing. And then just Irving's buy-in and 
Jordan's intensity. And like you mentioned, Irving Levert, two of the top three, I feel like those I'm comfortable saying are locks for the starting lineup. And I would put Jared Allen is in there as well. Who do you feel like the other two are? Do you feel confident in being able to project who those are? Or do you think that it's going to be tested out a little bit? What are you feeling for the starting lineup without Durant? I'm pretty confident without Durant that it's Irving, Levert, Harris, one, two, three. Um, the four is question mark. I think it will be Torian Prince. Um, and then that's the five. I'm not sure if it's going to be Allen or Jordan yet. I think get into training camp and see what happens there. Um, I would not be surprised if they started the season maybe with Jordan. Um, but I mean, it's really up in the air. It's going to depend on matchups. Whoever starts, whoever finishes games, it doesn't really matter. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's been off the bench the last couple of seasons with the Nets and been a top six man, man, and he finishes almost every single game. So I think the Nets don't play anybody really in that 35 minute range. They're all kind of in that 25 to 32 minute range. So the top seven, eight guys in the rotation are all going to play similar minutes. It's just about who you close with in certain matchups, but I think Irving, Levert, and Harris are pretty firmly entrenched in the one, two, three. So just get into the last couple questions here. We like to ask every guest that we have on uh, to give us their impression of the over/under uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Most sites have them right around 45 wins. Uh, you sound a little bit confident about their chances this year, but maybe that's more of a long-term. Uh, you know, optimism there, but are you taking the over on that 45 wins? I'll take the over slightly. I think if you look at them last year, they won 42 games. They started very poorly, 8-18. Eight and 18. So look at their record after that. I'm not going to do the quick math in my head. Maybe you can. Um, but they really played well towards the end of the season. And when you look at the offseason, how they upgraded, I mean, you lost D'Angelo Russell, obviously, an all-star player. You lost Alan Crabb, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Shabazz Napier, Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Travion Graham. So those guys there, the only guys that were really in the rotation at the end of the year were Jared Dudley, D'Angelo Russell, and that's, and Ed Davis. So those three. And then you replace those guys with Kyrie Irving, um, DeAndre Jordan, and throw another guy, Wilson Chandler, I guess, to replace Dudley. But then you also had Garrett Temple, who's going to be a part of the rotation, David Laba, Torian Prince, who I think is very underrated in terms of coming in here, guy who averaged 13 points a game last season. Shot near 40% from three, um, kind of three and D type of guy, uh, another long defender at the three four. So I think you put those guys together, they definitely upgraded this season. You look at Karis Levert, if you get a healthy season out of him, I mean, then, then you're really talking. So I think a lot of things improve for the Nets, and then their young players are definitely going to develop. They're one of the best developmental staffs in the league. So you'll see a Karis Levert take a step. You'll see Jared Allen take a step. Looking to coming into last year, no one thought Joe Harris was as good as he is. He proved himself to be the three-point champ in the shooting contest and the best three-point percentage in the league. So there's somebody that's going to take the leap for the Nets. I think everything's trending forward for them. And then if they end up getting Durant back for the final couple months of the season or the final months of the season, maybe they tack on a few more wins there. So I, I think they're going to be in that 45 to 50 win range. I'd probably tap it at 50 and say they go no lower than 45. If you have to take an over-under, I'd take the over. And obviously, regular season is just about making it to playoffs, confident in saying Brooklyn's pretty much a lock in order to do that, barring some terrible injuries to a bunch of guys or anything like that. But 
How do you feel like the playoffs turn out this year? What would make the year a success compared to a failure? Because it feels like after Philadelphia, Milwaukee, that there's kind of this group of maybe Boston, Brooklyn, and Indiana that is the next tier there. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's Milwaukee and Philly, and then the Nets without Durant. They're kind of in that bunch of teams like Indiana without Oladipo, though, until later in the season. The Celtics, who I think people are talking about Kyrie Irving, and they replaced Kemba Walker, and a lot of people are kind of describing that as a wash, which I don't necessarily agree with. But even if you want to say that's the case, they're completely neglecting to mention they lost out Warford, who I think was even more important than Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And he was the best player on that team when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals although Jason Tatum was leading the scorer. So they lost Terry Rozier also. They lost a few different pieces. Aaron Baines, um, a lot of people are banking on the comeback with Gordon Hayward. I'm not so sure about that. Um, so I think the Celtics are being a little bit overrated. Um, the Pacers, I like that they did this summer with Malcolm Brogdon, um, a few other guys they brought in there, TJ Warren. So I think they're a good team, um, but losing Bogdanovich will hurt them. Um, he was their best player once. Once Victor Oladipo went down, Tolleson retired out of nowhere. They lost him. Um, Oladipo, I don't think he's going to be back until at least after Christmas. I'm not exactly sure about that. but um, So he's going to be injured. The Celtics, I think, take a step back. Who else we got here? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. we got Toronto. Um, Toronto. Toronto's definitely taking a step back. You lose Kawhi Leonard. I think they'll still be a good team. They have a lot of veteran players. But a team with the best player of the Atkum or Kyle Lowry, I mean, how far is that team going? So, yeah. I think the Nets kind of are in that mix with those teams. And when you look at the Celtics, Raptors, Pacers, I, I don't think the stretch to say the Nets are probably the best team in that bunch. So I think if you ask me right now to predict where the Nets finish, I'd say third. Um, but anywhere from third to, to, to fifth, I would say. Um, but they're, they're, I think they're a team that could definitely get to a second round. And if Kevin Durant comes back playing great and things break their way, could they upset Milwaukee or the Sixers? They could. I'm not so sure the first year Kevin Durant back and kind of bringing a player of that caliber back so late and trying to mesh him in late that late in the season would be able to work that quickly, but they could get to reach the conference finals. I'd probably say they're a second round out this season, and then the next year is really when they're, they're gearing up with Kevin Durant, and then at that point you can call him the favorite in the East if Durant looks good. So last question on the Nets here. Looking forward a little bit further, going maybe two, three, or four years down the road, you know, I mean, what are you, what are you seeing here? I mean, the real question, I mean, with the Nets, I'll just kind of say it, you know, are we talking about a championship here? Is that, is that in the realm of possibilities? And is it even a likelihood? Well, you look at the makeup of the Eastern Conference, you have Milwaukee and the Sixers. I think those are the two best teams for the next couple of seasons with the Nets. Um, look at young teams coming up. The Hawks will be good, but I don't think they're going to be at that level that quickly. So I think it's Bucks, Sixers, and Nets that are going to be fighting for the top of the East for the next couple of seasons. The Sixers, I really like what they did this summer, but Al Horford's going to be getting old real quick here. So um, you have four years of Al Horford. I don't know if he's going to be the player he is much more after maybe two. Um, and then you have concerns about Embiid's health, obviously, and Simmons gain a jump shot. Um, the Bucks, Giannis is going to be a free agent in a couple of years. I think he probably will stay, but who knows what happens. You never can predict player movement, especially this far in advance. And I, I, I think the Nets, they just have the best combination of star power, and I think star power is what wins in the playoffs. And I love the fit together of Tyler Irving and Kevin Durant. I think they'll mesh very well. And as I mentioned, we went, we went through the entire roster pretty much. You guys did a good job 
pointing out each player on the roster to me, and they have a lot of depth. So most of the team is under contract going forward, as I mentioned. I think they'll keep Levert and keep some other guys. So I like the Nets' chances to be the team out of the East after this season once Frank gets healthy for the next couple of years. Um, then you get to the finals and you go from there. I mean, you got the, you're going to have the Lakers, you're going to have the, the Clippers there. They're going to be tough. The Warriors will still be in the mix. The Rockets will be there. Who knows how long that core will be together. But there's a lot of good teams out west. But I think the Nets have positioned themselves to be right there with all those top teams and definitely at least make the finals over this four-year period. Obviously, to be successful, you probably got to win one. Um, it's tough to say if they will or they won't, how much things can change in the NBA. But I think their talent level and the team they have around them the front office coaching staff, they have really smart people. They're dedicated to their profession. So I think they are in as good a position as anyone to win, win a title over the next four years. And uh, who knows? Maybe the Nets will get their first championship in NBA history. Yeah, hard to argue with that. And obviously, it's championships the goal for the amount of talent that you have, like you mentioned, and plenty of reason to be optimistic as you are. But I think that's all that we have for you, Billy. We want to give you a chance here to plug yourself and some of the work that you do. Well, before I go, I mean, this is a Kings podcast. I'm talking about the Nets. How do we not talk about that Kings-Nets game from last season? I know you guys might oh, not want to, but that, that, that comeback was <laughs> unbelievable. And honestly, if you think about I was trying to think who was on the floor to close that game for the Nets. I think maybe all those players are not on the team anymore. I think it was Travion Graham, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Jared Dudley, and D'Angelo Russell, and one more, maybe Rodion's Krugs. But much of that team is not on the Nets anymore. But that was one of the craziest comebacks in NBA history. And being out here on the East Coast, obviously, a lot of people didn't stay up to see the end of that game when they see the Nets down 25-plus points going into the fourth quarter. So... Um, I'd love to hear your take on that as a Kings fan watching that game, uh, what happened there. But uh, that was one of the craziest games I've seen in any sport. I wish I didn't stay up for that game. And I will never forget a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson game winner on my team. That That is probably one of the most painful games. It, it actually was fun watching D'Lo go off. It got to a point where I was almost rooting for him in a way. But... It definitely was painful. That was that was one of the worst loss of the King season. It's probably more memorable for you because I mean, <laughs> listen, the Kings have experienced a lot of uh, shocking failures in their history. So Kings fans don't remember that one quite as well as you. You know, it was tough, but at the same time, it's like you know, it's one of those things. And I think a lot of it came down to a lot of people were trying to figure out what was going on with Jaeger and some some odd rotations there. There's a new coach in town. We don't know necessarily if that will fix things or what, but looking forward to, you know, De'Aaron Fox continuing to grow and all these guys continuing to grow. But, but yeah, and I think the other game that the Kings played against the Nets was just a straight blowout uh, from Brooklyn. Like the entire, it wasn't, there wasn't a comeback, but I think it was just a, you know, a, a, a you know, first to fourth quarter complete blowout. So not that much better yeah, there either. Was, yeah, I think Russell went off in both games. There and I, th- I think Russell and Fox are going to see a lot out there in the Pacific Northwest going forward. Um, I think that's going to be a fun young point guard match over the next couple of years where we see that grow. And I think the Kings are going in the right direction. The Aaron Fox, I've loved him in college. I thought he was probably the best point guard coming out of that draft over Alonzo Ball. But he healed 27, which is surprising, but um, really good shooter. Bogdanovich is a solid player. Marvin Bagley, I actually thought was the best player in the draft um, going back a year. So. Kings have some pieces going forward. They're an exciting young team. They play super fast. Um, they might be on the outside looking in again in terms of the playoffs this season, just how deep the Western Conference is. But 
I think it won't be long until the Kings are back in the playoffs and finally break that drought. Yeah, and I'll say that that really the Nets are living the Kings' dream right now, where you know you you went from a twenty eight win team and you broke out just like the Kings really very similarly broke out last year, but with the West there just wasn't a spot in the playoffs where the Nets were able to make the playoffs, able to make some noise in it, and then you know sign a bunch of guys that really. We'll never, we, you know, I think we accept are not ever going to really be interested in Sacramento, but maybe that'll change one day. It's just, it's a matter of the market. But thank you for the kind words, man, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we want to make sure that our listeners go and read you at Nets Daily. And uh, yeah, anything else you'd like to plug while you're here? No, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. I'm at Billy Reinhardt on Twitter. If anyone wants to give me a follow, uh, look forward to hearing from anyone. Who wants to give me that follow, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll send all these uh, angry Kings fans your way, pretending like that game never happened. Oh, no, no, no. I just complimented the Kings. I did it on purpose, <laughs> you see. I left you guys giving them good confidence. Maybe they'll make the playoffs this year, because I don't want any angry Kings fans in my mention. I got I got to poke the bear a little bit, but then I got to coddle them a little bit at the end of that. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we appreciate the compliments, and we're excited as you are, but that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple days here. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.